Welcome to this Fireside Chat. I'm JT Angstrom. Uh, with me is a special guest, Jason Bass of Harris-Williams. He's the Managing Director and Co-Head of the Transportation and Logistics Investment Banking Practice there. Um, their team does a phenomenal job in the space providing opportunities for operators to sell their companies, merge with other players, expand operations. Uh, they have a lot of deal flow in the space and have a phenomenal record and reputation. Jason, it's a pleasure to have you with us. Really looking forward to having this discussion. JT, thanks for having me on. Really looking forward to it. This is uh, quite an interesting year uh, for us to be sort of doing a, a post-mortem review, you know, six months in, if you will, as to what the investment banking space looks like in transportation and logistics. I know historically you guys have been very, very active in asset light and even asset heavy transportation. Can you talk to us a little bit about, given your breadth and depth of experience, which is you've seen many cycles, uh, this year is a, an anomaly in the sense that it doesn't really fit into the framework of a typical cycle, quote unquote. Can you talk to us a bit about what it's like managing and building deal flow in a pandemic that also overlines with an energy crisis, which is pretty yeah. unique combination. Yeah, yeah, uh, truly uh, unique circumstances uh, as you lay out there, and um, you know, as we, uh, it, it's big news if deals get done or have gotten done uh, over the last uh, uh, half a year, six months or so, and. Um, you know, having been fortunate enough to, to, to play a leading role in a lot of the marquee transactions that we that, that our industry saw uh, within the logistics space from you know 2017 you know, all the way up until you know kind of mid 2019, the last six months have been have been challenging for sure. Um, and so we've been spending our time uh, really you know, uh, dialoguing with chief executives, uh, with private equity groups that that own companies in the space. Uh, really sort of planning for how we might position some of those companies uh, going forward, um, particularly when we start to come out of this uh, pandemic uh, deal-making environment that we're in. Uh, you know, what, what are some of the tactics that we need to use uh, to best position companies uh, who may be seeking uh, an exit or a liquidity event, um, you know, once things do improve? Um, you know, you made reference to cycles. Um, you know, certainly we have seen M&A cycles, um, you know, several of those in my career now. Um, but what's interesting about our industry, and, and, uh, and, and you guys know this, is that we also have freight cycles that sort of work uh, around those recessionary economic cycles. And, and so um, even in the face of a, of a difficult freight market, we've still been able to make some deals and, 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 and find some great combinations out there. Uh, we saw that uh, in the last freight recession in you know uh, 2016, and coming out of that, there were a lot of great deals made in 2017. We were fighting the freight markets, uh, as you know, uh, we're really beginning in, in the late uh, uh, fourth quarter of 2018, all all through 2019, uh, which was just really tough sledding for a lot of brokers and forwarders and carriers, um, and so. We were just, we, we thought we were about to uh, recover from that and then the pandemic hit and certainly in a period of uncertainty, uh, none of us could have planned for something uh, like this. And, and so we're, we're, we're seeing some, some companies really write some great stories about how they were there for their shipper clients, you know, you know, during this period. And we look forward to telling some of those stories coming out of it. 
Yeah, it's a really unique and transformative period of time talking about, you know, not just the freight impact, but also the health impact and how the health impact impacts business in general and getting deals done typically requires a lot of face-to-face -face contact. Also a lot of email and phone, but nonetheless face-to-face -face contact, which given this specific period of time is sort of a unique challenge to be dealing with. You know, I would like to think that going into the end of 2019, whatever deals you, know, you, you would or wouldn't be looking at, uh, while they may be on hold or on pause or waiting for normalized financials, I would anticipate a bit of a snapback into the back half of the year or you know, 2021 where issuers of uh, uh, deal makers or liquidity uh, providers seeking to get things done might then take the opportunity to come back to market. What a... Uh for, for, for sure. I mean, you hit on you hit on some some great points there. I mean, if you think about you know pipeline um, and you know uh, missed opportunities perhaps to seek uh, a deal uh, in 2019 uh, and thinking you were going to do that in 2020. Um, if you're a private equity group, you know, sitting on a mountain of capital that needs to be put in play, and you know, it's been a quite some period now where you haven't had those opportunities, um, and so the pent up demand. Uh, the deferred nature of, of transactions, um, we do think that those, um, you know, th they will happen. It's not like they evaporate. Um, right. They're just out to the right. Um, and the conversations that we're having for with buyers and sellers uh, and strategic buyers and sellers as well, you know, not just financial oriented, is it, the conversations have gone from over the last, you know, 90 days from will we ever to when can we and how? And mm -hmm. I think it's as a as a um, deal intermediary, you know, a, someone who you know really is a professional and and engineering processes in which to maximize sellers' returns in a situation like that, it presents a lot of uh, really great, cool challenges that we need to meet on how we do engage with buyers via uh, a video conference or by phone when we can't do it in person. Um, and, and we think you know th that type of activity is will start to increase uh, over the next couple of months. Will we see some transactions you know towards you know the back half of the year? I think I think we might. Um, you know we certainly aren't going to see the pace of deal making that we've seen in normal regular way M and A markets, but I think we'll see a handful. I think there'll be some notable ones as well. But I do think as you note, twenty twenty one. Uh, we'll see much more of a, a, a rapid pace, and, and that's something to really look forward to for all of us. Yeah, there could be a lot of great headlines in 2021 thinking about, you know, to your point, pent-up demand. And you made another comment in there about, uh, you know, dry powder, you know, uh, uh, readily available capital. And, and, you know, I noted in my previous life as a banker that some of these private equity firms, of which there's a lot that would be happy to transact in transportation and logistics, sort of had a first-world challenge of, they had done so well with previous investments that the fund size grew, they continued to raise capital, and as a result, their you know, targeted equity check size continued to trend upwards. I wonder with this you know, transitory period of constrained deal flow, if that doesn't create a, a, a whiplash effect whereby uh, these, these financial sponsors are seeking to put that capital to work, and perhaps that drives up valuation multiples a bit, which could create a really beneficial cycle for for those seeking liquidity events and might actually incentivize some operators to really think much more strongly about going to market. What, what are your thoughts uh, on that? Absolutely. Um, you know, dry powder, you know, by most measures, um, you know, could be over a trillion dollars. 
And as you note, there have been some really great returns generated by you know, logistics companies, companies that you know, in our space. And we're seeing a greater number of private equity groups and family offices who are seeking uh, opportunities to put that capital to work around uh, supply chain and, and logistics, which is very exciting. Um, same time, way more supply of capital, way more demand and supply of capital than we do supply of great companies. And so, rather than you know talking about um, you know COVID discounts and hey the the M and A market's on its ear and I'm going to go seek value um, in my investment, there's a chance that better performing mission critical companies could be worth more. Could be valued at a higher multiple, you know, sort of coming out of this in the recovery. Um, and so, as you note, sellers who have perhaps, you know, toyed with the idea, maybe had a couple of conversations with bankers and lawyers about how do I do this, um, but then, you know, maybe not be willing to pull the trigger because of some, um, you know, thoughts around value. Maybe value wasn't oriented in the way they thought they might have for their company. Um, that conversation might be very different in Q4 2020 and in the first half of 21. Um, so we're, we, we, we would, um, we're anxious to have those conversations and to really start this valuation discovery process, which I think will take some time. And I think ultimately, because we have so many great companies and logistics, um, that we'll, you know, the sellers will be the ones that benefit from the scarcity value. Yeah, no, Jason, as we think about uh, heading into the back half of the year and into 2021, what will be interesting, and I'm very interested to get your perspective on as a market maker, is how the market philosophy will interpret the financials for 2020, um, whether this whole concept of EBITDA plus C, you know, a COVID adjustment um, makes sense and or um, to your, your previous point, if companies that had relatively outperformed um, in the first half of 2020, if they might actually find themselves now getting premium valuations relative to normalized earnings because buyers may, may interpret that as strength or stability in their model? Yeah, uh, it's, it's, it's a great question. And it's and it, and it sort of the answer to which we'll, we'll, we'll find out as we start to bring companies to market and have you know, sort of this valuation discovery conversation. But I will say that we have talked to buyers, both strategic and financial, who are um, thinking more about you know, looking in the rearview mirror and analyzing 2019 and, and how the company performed and was positioned in that period, and then looking forward at 2021 and thinking about positioning coming out of COVID, uh, coming out of a recession into an expansionary market, how well are they positioned, both from a customer base and a business model perspective. And then 2020 is more of a, a qualitative discussion and less of a, what were your earnings and let me apply a multiple to it type discussion. You know, 2020, as you say, is going to look very odd when you have a Q1 that may have performed pretty well or maybe flat to Q1-19. Uh, a Q4, which in some cases may be a growth quarter for some companies, but Q2 and Q3 are going to look um, rather ragged, you know, for, for some companies, both at the revenue line with missed opportunities and, you know, closures and both at the expense line because, you know, so much money had to be invested in companies to move their workforces remotely, uh, to build, you know, PPE inventory and the like. And so there will be large buckets of addbacks. I think, um, 
financial investors and strategics are certainly going to understand, but there's going to be a very detailed conversation around what's short-term, what's going to last. Um, Have you taken cost out of your business model that you don't need to put back in? Um, are, Are there changes to your business model that you made during 2020 that are going to change your margins going forward? And how do we, how do we incorporate those into our, financial analysis and ultimately our valuation. Uh, so it will be, you know, there'll be some really interesting negotiations that come out of that. Um, and I think, you know, as a, as a banker who, um, you know, represents sellers, um, it's going to be, it's going to be a challenging exercise. I think when we, we try to get value, you know, for some of those ad backs, um, but we really do want to focus our, our, uh, our buyers of, of, you know, the great companies that we represent on how well positioned they are coming out of this and how 2021 is going to be an opportunity in a marketplace where earnings power for some of the better 3PLs will be better than it's ever been. Uh, And that's where we think we're going to find uh, the best valuations. Yeah, that's right. And I think uh, that that really unlocks the opportunity for you to really reveal the, the breadth and depth of the value that you guys offer to the market because making the market, finding the market, determining valuation equilibrium is really not a math exercise at this point in time. It is really a matter of being disciplined and determining where the market actually exists and then trying to drive a premium valuation to there or perhaps above and beyond there. And uh, I, I do expect that the back half of this year in 2021 should be a great year for deal making. And uh, I think a lot of people would be very excited to be able to work with you and your team. So with that, we're running out of time. Uh, we're going to have to close this up. Jason, thank you very much for your time. This was uh, very enlightening. Um, and if anyone would like to get in touch with you, I'd be happy to pass the conversation or contact information along. Um, so with that, Jason Bass, uh, Managing Director and Co-Head of the Transportation and Logistics Investment Banking Practice at Harris-Williams. Thank you for joining us. I'm JT Angstrom, and have a great day. Thanks, JT. Great seeing you. You too.